John 11, 45. Uh, we're going to read this together. We're going to read from verse 45. Uh, we're going to even dip into chapter 12 today. We're going to go to the end of verse 11 in chapter 12. It's on the screen. We're going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it. It says this, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, what he did, by the way, is last week Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave, powerful thing. Many people who saw that believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council that's goon squad in the Greek, and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. How's that for like, you ever had a boss say something like that to you? Very encouraging. You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to a region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Now we'll get into chapter 12. It says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them, reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he actually cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So there's quite a lot going on, kind of a hodgepodge, but there's a common theme that kind of runs all through this this morning, and that's this. There's three kinds of people as it pertains to Jesus. Three kinds of people. You said, no, that's not what my mother, my mother told me. My mother told me there's two kinds of people. There's those who can count and those who can't. Amen? It's one of those deals. In our text, 
Three kinds of people. Very simple message today, friends. Very simple. There's Jesus and there's these people. Three kinds. So I want to unpack those three kinds. The first kind of people we see in this text and for sure we see in the world today is people who are anti-Jesus. Somebody say anti-Jesus. They're against Jesus. And that can manifest itself in a number of different ways. For some people, and we certainly see this in the text, for some people, it's an active being against him. Sometimes a deep hate for Jesus, just super snarling, angry against him, want to shut him down, shut him up, silence him. People like that are in this text. People like that are in the world today. Some people, like we see in verse 47 here, what these Pharisees say, they say, what are we to do? For this man, Jesus, performs many signs. What's interesting about that is they know there's something special about him. This man performs signs. And even though they know there's something special about him, they harden their heart. They say, we got to silence him. Far be it that they would say, maybe we should like try to learn more about him. Maybe there's something to this guy. No, nope, got to silence him. What are we to do? They say, if we let him go on, the Romans will take away our place and our nation. Let's peel back what they're saying. It seems really noble and political. What they're really saying is part of the reason they're against Jesus is because he might affect their position and their comfort and their convenience. Uh-oh, I'm talking to somebody today. Their concern ultimately, I don't think, is for the nation of Israel. You have to understand, during this time, the nation of Israel was not really some prize winner. And I don't say that insultingly, but they were occupied by their Roman overlords. They were not fully free to just do whatever. They were not the leading world power. The Romans had come in and taken over shop. And they kind of let the Jewish people do sort of kind of some of the stuff they wanted. You can worship at the temple. You can have your traditions. You can have your customs. But they paid a lot of taxes to the Romans. And, and even something about the pride of... Because if you look back at the history of Israel, what God says is, I want to make you this special nation, this blessing that's different from all the other nations in the world and blessed among all other nations in the world. And you look at different times in Israel's history. For instance, about a thousand years before this, guys like King David, when he ruled King Solomon, Israel was this big world power. They're taking territory. They're taking names. They are prospering. They are being blessed by God. That is a nation to boast in. But right here, they're weak. They're not politically powerful. They're not really at the pinnacle of their empire in Israel. They're not really what they're supposed to be. So I don't really buy this line of they're going to take away our place in our nation. No, no, because they're but a shell of what they're supposed to be anyway. What these guys are worried about is if we make too much of a stink or Jesus makes too much of a stink and the Romans find out, they might come in and shut us down entirely and I might lose my position. I might lose my prestige. I might lose my authority. I might have to like get a different job or work X, Y, Z. And I don't want those troubles to befall me. And some people, make no mistake, some people are anti-Jesus in our day for those very same reasons. 
They say, I don't want my comfort to be affected. I don't want my convenience to be affected. I want to do whatever I want to do. And I have a feeling that this Jesus guy is going to come in and tell me to do a bunch of things differently. Or they might have a completely wrong idea of what faith in Christ is like and think, oh, it's just about following rules and not having any fun. And I don't want that. I'm against Jesus. I'm, I'm guessing that some names are floating through your mind of people that you know that are like that. We're not judging them. It's just the fact, though, that's what happens in the world. Verse 49, this guy Caiaphas speaks up. This dude is a bad apple. Can I just say that? He is a bad apple. He is a wicked, corrupt official, and he's a leader. He is one of the senior leaders of the Jewish faith. He's the high priest that year. And this is a sidebar. This is just a freebie for you this morning. Sometimes in life, I'm not going to name names, but sometimes in life, there are people that end up in positions of authority over us that aren't necessarily good, godly people and good influences to follow. We could probably like use our imaginations, right? And think of a couple names. Here's the thing on that. Again, this is just a freebie. The Bible says that we're to honor those in authority over us. Maybe it's a politician, maybe it's a, a supervisor, a boss. Maybe you're younger and it's a parent, what, whatever. God says we're to honor those in authority over us. But at the same time, we have to kind of walk this line of honoring them, but not just blindly doing and following everything that they might do when they're not godly and they're not gonna lead you closer to Jesus. Does that make sense? That's not even the point of the sermon today, but there it is. Caiaphas is evil. We'll come back to him. If you skip up to verse 9 of chapter 12, these same people, the goon squad, the council, it's in the Greek somewhere, they, they make plans to put Lazarus to death. That one just blows me away when I read it. Like, okay, they were wrong to try to put Jesus to death, but I could sort of see that. But Lazarus, literally the only thing that guy did was get healed. He, didn't, he was dead and Jesus brought him back to life and they go, mm, better silence that guy. It's just wicked. It's wicked. And the reason why they wanted to get rid of Lazarus was not because of anything to do with Lazarus. It was because on account of him, many were going and believing in Jesus. So there's something in that for us, friends. Listen, people who hate Jesus also are going to hate people who love and serve Jesus. No mistake. Don't make any mistake there. If you are with Jesus, the world is going to hate you. We're going to read that in several weeks from now. The enemy is going to come after you. Yes, there are obviously blessings and many benefits to being in Christ, but we need to get over this idea of, why is someone angry at me? Why does that person hate me because I'm a Christian? Yeah, that's, that's why. It's because you're a Christian. It's not even necessarily because of you. It's because of Jesus. We've got to see that in this text today. Jesus invites us to a life, right? We've talked about that. Jesus has a life for you. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor, tell them Jesus has a life for you. Go ahead. It's a good life. It's a free life. It's an eternal life. We've talked about all of this. Here's the thing, though. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you live this life that Jesus has to offer you, the more at odds it's going to put you with the world. And you might end up in this kind of a situation where there's literally people scheming and working and plotting against you because of your proximity to Jesus. And I don't say that to encourage you to not get close to Jesus. No, what I'm saying is the opposite. Jesus is so worth it. 
Jesus is so worth it. And I don't mean this wrong, but generally, like if you're, if you're coming into a hard time because of your faith, that probably just means you're doing something right. Honestly, that's probably what it means. So those are just a few examples of people who you can see it right in their language. They actively are against Jesus. They may even hate Jesus. And here's what I would say to anybody in that camp, in that demographic. You may hate Jesus, but guess what? You can't stop Jesus. I don't care how much you dislike him or have disdain for him. You cannot stop him because his purpose has always come to pass. Always. You try to shut Jesus down and the more you try it, the more he's going to rise up. That's the way that it works. And there's an example of that right in our text here. I said we were going to come back to that guy Caiaphas, the bad, bad apple, the bad dude. It's very interesting. He is leading the charge to shut Jesus down, to silence him, literally to kill and murder him. And something happens even through him, through, through this guy that is so anti-Jesus. Look what it says there. It says that he happened to be the, happened to be the high priest that year. And it said that he prophesied. It said that Jesus, this one man is going to die for the nation. And it's interesting. I was reading that. And I said, wonder why he didn't just say it's better for you that one man would die. Why does he say die for the nation? Oh, because now he's prophesying. He predicts right there that Jesus is going to die, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all people who are scattered abroad, all people who realize that, hey, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and only Jesus can save me. Caiaphas, this anti-Jesus dude, predicts that that's what's going to happen. And it says right in there, he said this not of his own accord. You know what that means? God worked through him even though he was against God. Super interesting. Like we have this language and it's true language of God like works through his people, right? Answer me. Does God work through Christians, his people? Obviously he does, but don't make any mistake. God can also work through his enemies. It's like, uh, this, is, this is what I got this week. It's like the roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. And the, 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 the coyote does his darndest to catch the roadrunner and cannot. And the more he tries the worse it fails. And sometimes he even gets caught in his own traps. That's kind of like this. You can't stop Jesus. And I just, I laugh. There's even a verse that says, look, the nations plot and they rage against God and they do so in vain because no matter how much they try to silence him, it's not gonna work. And sometimes God will speak right through them, which is hilarious and it's awesome. Now, so, okay, those are people that actively are against Jesus, just, just are breathing threats against Jesus, hate Jesus. There's kind of another layer of this though. You may not actively hate Jesus and be on a campaign to bring him down and I'm gonna do what I can to you know, make legislation that makes it harder for Christians or whatever it is. You might just say in your life, hey, I don't really care about Jesus. I'm neither for him or against him. Yeah, you church people, you go do your thing, but I'm gonna do my thing. I don't have a beef with him. There's a really interesting verse in another place in scripture. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. And in that section of scripture, Jesus says something really interesting. He says, anyone that is not for me is what? Against me. So when we try to take on this neutral stance of, oh, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm just neutral. Doesn't work. Anyone not for Jesus is against him. And if that describes you at all, you say, I, you know, it's more of a passive anti-Jesus. 
You say, I'm not, you know, whatever, I'm not bothering him. He's not bothering me. Listen, I want to say something to you this morning. He's going to catch up to you eventually. Right? We, we just try to put God off to the side and it's not part of my life. It's going to be part of your life someday. I'm just telling you. Because the fact is, regardless of what you believe about Jesus, that doesn't change anything about who Jesus really is. Jesus is God. Jesus came to the earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried in the ground. He rose from the grave on the third day victoriously. He ascended into heaven. He is sitting on a throne at the right hand of the Father. And like we talked about last week at length, he's coming back. Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, the Bible is very clear, regardless of if you had nothing to do with him during your time on earth, it says that every knee, yes, yours too, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. If you don't honor him now, you're going to honor him someday. There's no getting around him, friends. So here was, here, here's my encouragement. If you're someone that is anti-Jesus in any sort of way, we've already said, you can't beat him and you can't get around him Here's my encouragement. You might as well join him. Right? There's a phrase. If you can't beat him, join him. If you can't escape him, join him. Again, he loves you. He died for you. Regardless of how you feel about him, he loves you. He gave his life for you. He paid the price so that your debt of sin to God could be paid, so that you could be freed and forgiven, and that you could come into this life that we've talked about, that he promises you, this life of forgiveness in this life of being in relationship with him and it leads to eternal life god has that for you even if you can't stand him or you're just neutral toward him that's the story now one more thing before we move on to the next group of people i want to just say a special word to believers about this because most of us in the room are believers the world hates jesus okay the world is against jesus or many at best it's indifferent about jesus but there are forces at work that are trying to shut him down, like, like in here. And there are things that are going on in the world that are like anti-God, anti-church. We're kind of like maybe going to start feeling the squeeze pretty good here pretty soon. Here's what I want to encourage you with these words this morning. Nobody can shut down what Jesus sets up. Nobody can shut down what Jesus sets up. Again, if you look at the way things are going in the world and what you see in the scriptures, I'm just telling you, opposition to the church and to Christ is gonna keep growing. I don't even claim that to be remarkably prophetic on my end. It's just very clear in the scriptures. Persecution might break out. Like we don't even understand persecution in Canada. For your faith, we don't. But someday we might. We probably will. You could literally, as a Canadian St. John resident, you might be persecuted for being a Christian. And church as we know it, see my hands, church as we know it, maybe in our lifetime will look different. Maybe we'll have to go underground. I'm not even joking. But here's what I want to say. You can't stop them. The church is never going to go down. The church is never going to go under because Jesus is the head of it and he's greater than all. So we can take courage in all this stuff. I mean, do I want to be persecuted? Honestly, not really. But if it comes, the most important thing is that we know who we belong to, amen? And one more freebie on this. Yes, there are enemies of Jesus in the world. Maybe you know some right in your life. 
you might ask, well, how am I, what am I supposed to do about that? How are we supposed to treat those who are enemies of Jesus? We love on them. That's what we do. You know why? Because Jesus loves them. And we've got to love like Jesus loves, right? So even if people are totally against us because they're totally against Jesus, let us be known not for our hating back at them. Let us be known for loving them, serving them, praying for them, witnessing to them, sharing the gospel with them. Capiche? That's another sermon for another day, but there it is. So those are people who are anti-Jesus. The second group of people that we see in this text that we've read today are people who use Jesus. Use Jesus. Now, there are few things in the world worse than being used, right? You can kind of pick up on it when it's happening to you, and it doesn't feel very good, right? The, the example I thought of this week, I'm a dog person, any dog people in the house? Okay, I know a lot of you are cat people. It's okay, we'll pray for you. Um, you know how it is with dogs. Love dogs. We don't deserve dogs, frankly, and they're very nice, friendly, and they do come up to you. What, did somebody say amen to that? Anyway, anyway, dogs are very friendly and they like you just for you, but you, you guys know, dog people, you know this is true. When the food comes out on the table... There the dog is. And it's not that the dog doesn't love you, like it does, but in that moment, it loves the food probably more. And our dog, oh, that thing. We're sitting at the table. She'll sit right here. She looks at Lori more than me. I think she's more likely to get stuff from Lori, so she doesn't pay much attention to me. And she starts drooling on the floor. Gotta, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. You see it. And then as soon as the food is gone, or you do this, I don't have anything left, the dog is gone. And I say, that didn't feel very good because you're clearly only here because I have food to give you. And when it goes away, you leave. That's using, being used. Obviously, it can get much worse than that. It's a lighthearted example. But it's no good to be used by people. And this is happening in our text to Jesus. So we see the crowd, first of all. We see the crowd in our text. In verse uh, 55 of John 11, the Passover's coming. They're all interested. Is Jesus gonna come? Is he gonna be here? We've seen the crowd before. We'll talk about them more in a minute. But, but they're mostly concerned of Jesus' presence at the festival because they might get something good because he's there. Are they really that excited for Jesus? Maybe some of them are. I would submit to you that's not their main concern, though. And it gives a clue in our text why the people are so interested in Jesus coming. Look at verse 57 on the bottom. It says, The chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. In other words, for some of these people, the reason they're so keen on Jesus being there is I can go rat him out to the authorities and I can be in good with the powerful people. See that? That's using them. You also see in chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, you see Judas. Usually when Judas appears, it's not something great happening, and this is also the case here. Judas, when he sees the offering that's been made to Jesus, which we'll talk about, he's indignant, and he says, 
Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And it just exposes his heart right here. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a what? A thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. In other words, for Judas, part of the reason he was so interested in hanging around with Jesus is because he could dip into the coffers, take money for himself. And it's not that Jesus was super rich while he was on earth or anything, but he was given this position of influence and he goes, hey, I can, I can live with this. This isn't too bad. And Jesus rebukes him, by the way. He says, leave her alone. It's not what you're supposed to be doing. Those are a couple examples of that in our text. And make no mistake, this one's very prevalent in our day. Very prevalent. And I don't mean this wrong. I think sometimes as church people, we can be occasionally guilty of doing this, this using thing. There are a lot of people who claim Jesus or grab hold of Jesus or identify with Jesus somehow, but their main concern is not Jesus himself. It's, I want to get something from him. I know I'm not talking to any of you guys. I want to read. I'm going to turn back to John chapter 6. This one's not on the screen, I don't think. This is something we read a number of months ago. This is just very telling. Listen to what it says in John 6. Uh, in John 6, Jesus had, had just done an amazing miracle, fed 5,000. You can go back and listen to that and read that. And the next day, the crowd who was wowed by him, they come and find him again. John 6, 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to Jesus, Rabbi, when did you come here? They're excited about him, right? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're only here because of what I did for you. And look what Jesus says, though. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do to be doing this work of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. In other words, it's not about what I can do for you, says Jesus. First and foremost, it's about me and you having a relationship with me and being close to me. So I would say this, if you look in at your own life and you say, I'm kind of guilty of just using Jesus for the benefit, I love you. There's so much more. There's so much more and greater and bigger things than that. And instead of just using Jesus for the benefit you might draw from him, I want you to understand this morning, friends, Jesus himself is the benefit. You're coming up in here looking for a crumb or a morsel or, or a blessing or something good. And, and Jesus can certainly provide that to you. But don't miss the greatest blessing of all, which is himself, which is his presence, which is a relationship with him. John 17, three, this is eternal life that they know Jesus. Do you know Jesus today? Do you have a relationship with Jesus today? That, that, that is the point. And I don't mean to say that I know your heart, but if you're someone who's maybe guilty of using Jesus more than just loving him for him, I know that you're not satisfied with that. I know that's not working for you because Jesus called you to something way greater, way bigger. He, he didn't invite you to come and just get a morsel from under his table. He invites you to sit at the table with him, friends. It, it, it just, it's just there. 
So if you really want to live, if you really want to live a meaningful life, the life that God created you to live, don't just come up to Jesus once in a while and try to ride onto his coattails, okay? Instead, run into his arms. And as long as today is called today, you have the opportunity to do that. I, I just, I love the heart of Jesus. Even if you're guilty of just coming to him because you want something from him, he says, I love you. And I want the relationship with, with you. I don't care if you're just trying to use me up in here. I've got something better for you and I'm inviting you to it. That's just the heart of our God. This obviously is not where we want to set our sights. It's not. We then see the third group of people. This is where it changes gears a little bit. People who worship Jesus. We have people who are anti-Jesus, people who use Jesus, and then there are worshipers of Jesus. And by the way, when we're talking about worship, we're talking about something or someone that you put first, that you center yourself on, that your schedule revolves around, and your money revolves around, and your priorities revolve around. That can be anything, but whatever that thing or person is, that's what you worship. We're all worshipers. Somebody say, I'm a worshiper. You are. We all are. Every person is. Even people that hate Jesus are worshipers. And what I want to do, I want to just read this bit at the start of John chapter 12 again. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So first of all, part of your worship of Jesus is doing what they're doing. They're spending time with him. Like, we, we don't need to over-spiritualize that. They were hanging out. When's the last time you had a real good hangout with Jesus? I'm using casual language, but it's a very serious, important thing. When's the last time you actually spent time in his presence and pursued him and just hung out with him? That's what a relationship is. It continues, it says... Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. That's also called spikenard, depending on what your translation is. And spikenard, what he, what's being talked about here is the oil that comes from the spikenard plant. And I learned something this week. It's not as though Mary could have gone out her front door and, hey, look, there's a spikenard plant. Let me pound this out and, and process this into oil. The spikenard plant only grows in certain places in the world. It's a pretty unique to a certain area species. And it only grows in the regions of the Himalayas in northern India, Nepal, places like that. Did a little Google Maps measurement this week. Where the spikenard plant grows, it's about 4,000 kilometers from Bethany. And it takes a while for anything to come 4,000 kilometers these days. But back then, they didn't have any Amazon they couldn't put it on the train or in the FedEx car or van. This thing took a long time to get over here. This, this was very costly stuff. It actually goes on. Judas says, why didn't you sell this for 300 denarii? A denarius, singular, was a day's wage for a laborer in those, in those times. So if this was valued at 300 denarii, that's 300 days worth of work. That roughly equates to a year's salary. If you factor in like the days you're not working, it's holiday, it's my birthday, I'm not working, 300 days. So I don't know what you make, 
I don't care what you make. I don't need to know what you make. Let's say you made $50,000 a year at your job. Somebody says, that's really low. Somebody says, that's really high. This could have been like a $50,000 in 2022 speak bottle of ointment, bottle of perfume. It's an extravagant offering. This may have been all or, or very close to all of what she had. And she anointed Jesus with it. It's, it goes on to say, she was wiping his feet. Some of you guys don't like feet. I'm married to one of those people. I'm not saying I love feet, but it's just funny. Like some people are repulsed. Feet, funny to me. Anyway, I may hear about bringing this up later. I will. Okay, okay, feet. Feet are like not the cleanest part of the body, but in this day and age, feet were nasty, friends. Nasty feet. Because a lot of people, even if they wore some kind of shoe, it'd be like a sandal. You guys have had sandal feet before. Kind of gross. Black, it's gross. A lot of people didn't wear anything on their feet. They walked along the path where the animals walked and did other things nasty feet are gross and here she is wiping his feet with her hair so the wiping his feet thing you have to understand that's a position of humility this is a lowly act she she bows herself as a servant in, in submission to Jesus that's worship by the way and it says that she wiped his feet with her hair now culturally in those days many women wore their heads covered and she obviously uncovered, maybe let her hair down or out, and she's using it sort of like a towel to wipe up his feet. That would have been something that was like, what's that lady doing? Culturally, just kind of weird. What? This could have been something that put her in a position of being ridiculed by others. This is like something you don't just do, cultural taboo. And guess what? She didn't care. She didn't care. She did it anyway. And that right there, all of this is a picture of worship. It's just a picture of it. This lady, Mary, treasured Jesus so much that she offered something extravagant, maybe everything that she had. She offered it in extreme humility and honoring and submission to Jesus. And she did it despite what other people might've looked at her and said about her. That's what worship is. And, and I will just say this to you, friends. When you truly start to realize in your life, I'm talking 2022 up in here, when you start to realize who Jesus really is and what Jesus is really like and what Jesus has really done for you, man, you can't help but start to take on this same heart. There might not be any feet involved, don't worry. But you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is the treasure of all treasures. And when you really start to look at him, you start to get it because that's just who he is. That's just what he does. And Jesus goes on to say, after Judas tries to give her the gears, Jesus says, leave her alone. She did this in, in advance of my burial. Jesus knows what's coming. His death is forthcoming. And he says in verse eight, this is just an important verse. He says, the poor... Right, Judas was mad because the poor, right? 
Jesus says, the poor you always have with you, but you don't always have me. Sometimes you know what worship is? It's laying down something that's important for something that's more important. The poor, well, answer me this. Are the poor important? Obviously. Is it important to do good things and bless the poor? Of course it is. Jesus doesn't negate that or, or say otherwise, but he's the most important thing. You know I'm gonna bring this into your life, friends. You know I'm gonna do it. There's lots of important things in our lives. Really important things. Your family, they're important. My family's really important to me. Yours is too. Your job, your work, your career, that's important. We're not gonna say that it isn't. The things you like to do for fun, hanging out with your friends, that's, that's important. Trying to do good deeds and good things in this dark world, that's important. But Jesus is the most important. That's a large statement. Jesus is most important. You're saying, Braden, you're, you're telling me that Jesus is more important than my family? Yep. That's large. And, and obviously Jesus is not gonna say, so just discard your family and hate them. No, no, no. But where's your priorities? Where's your top priorities? Oh, snap. We're going there today, right? The most important thing is Jesus. I mean, what he clearly lays out here is, look, we would do well to honor him first. We would do well to put him first, to, to, to worship him, glorify him, walk with him, make much of him. That's gotta be top priority in my life, in your life, in our lives. And, and, and the cool thing is, yes, that means you're gonna have to sacrifice something, but ultimately this is where true joy is found. You can see what Mary has done for Jesus here, and it doesn't explicitly say it, but you can almost just sense it when you're reading this, just the joy in her heart. It's her joy to do this thing, make this extravagant offering of worship to Jesus. The same is true when we offer ourselves to Jesus as well. True joy doesn't just come from what you have. It comes when you pour yourself out. And I think we've got that backwards in North America. It's all, give me more stuff I need to have. I need, give me, give me, give me. True joy comes when you open your hand and you pour it out to Jesus, straight up. That's what it says in Philippians 2.17. Paul talks about, my life is poured out like a drink offering, but I rejoice in that. Where am I in that? Where are you in that? One more thing. This one's cool. In verse three, we're talking about worship. There's this one little line in there. It says that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. See it at the bottom there? The house was filled. So even though Mary did this act just to Jesus, just for Jesus, the whole house was full of the smell. It may have been a real strong smell. I don't know really what spikenard oil smells like, but it was strong. People noticed it. You know where I'm going. When you worship, in some way, in some form, people are gonna take notice. 
right? All her surrounding was filled with the fragrance, fragrance of the perfume. Friends, if we are people of worship, when we truly put Jesus first, make him the top priority, people are gonna notice. Part of your witness to the world is your worship. And that just makes sense logically, right? Because if Jesus comes first and I'm prioritizing him and I'm seeking after him and I'm delighting in him and I'm doing the things he wants me to do, albeit imperfectly, that's gonna change something in your life. Hey, you look different. What's different about you? Things in your heart are gonna be different. People are gonna take notice. It's all, it just makes sense. It's all through the New Testament. It's there. Here's my point in this. If you have a desire in your life to be a witness for Jesus, which if you're a Christian, you should. I don't mind telling you how to feel about that, okay? If you wanna make a difference in reaching the world for Jesus, and I hope you do, Start here. Start by being a worshiper. Like, yes, we need to go. We need to share the gospel. 100% we do. We, we need to testify. We need to show the love of Jesus to people, not saying no to any of that. I'm just saying, let it start from a place where you love and serve and worship and want to honor Jesus. Start by being a worshiper. We're going to start bringing this in now. It's great to read the scriptures and see other people in them. Oh, that Caiaphas, he was a bad dude. Good thing I'm not a bad guy. Sometimes. But don't just read the scripture in isolation of yourself, okay? Don't just read this like you're detached from this story. The scriptures speak to us. Literally, like God is speaking to us in this today. So the question is, don't answer out loud. But what kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? Better question, what kind of person are you going to choose to be? Because in Christ, it's not just, oh, well, maybe I'm this, I'm not doing great, and I guess I'm stuck there. No, no, no. Who are you going to choose to be? Who are you going to aspire to be in Christ? If you are someone, and you're hearing this, and you actively are just hating on Jesus. I don't know that that's any of you in the room. Like, hopefully you didn't come to church just to like do an anti-Jesus protest or something. But if you did, thanks for coming. Good to see you. Anyway, if you're actively against Jesus, I wanna tell you this, Jesus is actively for you. Jesus actively loves you. And, and what he's calling you to do is not to continue to fight against him. He's calling you to lay down your sword and surrender to him. He loves you. He died for you. He's made a way for you, for your life to be changed, for, for eternal life to be brought into your vocabulary, into your regime. If you're someone who, I would say you're passively against Jesus, you're just trying to occupy that neutral ground, trying to float around in the middle somewhere, we've already talked about that. That's not gonna work for you. It's not gonna work for you. Time has come, friends, for you to see the truth. You need Jesus in your life. He's gonna be in your life one day. Let it be today. Surrender to him today. See, he's calling. He's talking to somebody. If you're someone, you look in your life, you take an inventory and you say, man, I've been a user. I've just been using Jesus and the only reason I'm interested, man, the only reason I come to church, the only reason I pray, it's when I want something. Listen, the time has come for you to humble yourself, to die to yourself and start seeing him 
and pray to him and ask him for this. Pray, Lord, I don't want to just use you for the benefit. I want to see you as the benefit. Start seeing him as your treasure. Start putting him first and see what he does in your life. You don't have to sit in that dead end ground of just using him again and again. He's got way more for you than that. Friends, if you're a worshiper of Jesus, I mean, that's the goal. That's the target. That's what he's calling us to be and to do. If you're a worshiper of Jesus, continue pouring yourself out before him. Don't stop. Keep it going. Keep it up. Because that's the life. That's where the joy is. That's where the peace is. That's where the hope is. And I don't want us to pretend either. Right? We come up into church. My life's bad. My life's the worst. I'm the worst. Hey, I'm happy to be in church. Good to see you. Amen, brother. Praise his name. We're not doing that. We're not playing that game. Because God has a special grace for us. He has a special grace for you right now, where you're sitting, where you're at in your life. The question is, will you reach out and accept it? Will you let him in? Will you put him first? Will you surrender to him?